Nutritional supplements, should we take them? Do we need them? Could they be potentially harmful? Or if not, what are the benefits? This is what this episode is about. So welcome to Down to Earth Herbalism. I realize I never really introduced myself in the beginning of an episode. So okay, I try to do this now. My name is Tamara. Uh, I work in the women's health field, let's say, since 20 years when I became a midwife in Germany. I practiced as a home birth midwife. And yeah, in the last years, I work as an herbalist in the field of natural medicine mainly. And yeah, I had extensive training in Ayurvedic herbalism, traditional Chinese herbs and also Western herbalism. So I'm mainly focused on herbs, but my training also included a lot of what you would imagine a functional medicine doctor to do, like look at the blood tests and your possible nutritional deficiencies or the hormones, hormonal imbalances and all those things. So I'm very familiar also with the use of nutritional supplements, of course, using diet and herbs in this context. Um, together stress management and so on so yeah this is the whole spectrum of my work I mainly have clients in midlife in there yeah from any age actually but maybe there's a concentration yeah of people in their 30s and 40s and 50s and a focus on chronic diseases like hormonal imbalances or gut issues allergies intolerances immune issues all those kinds of things are in the center of my work so yeah this episode is about our possible nutritional deficiencies and there's a lot of discussion and maybe you have a preformed opinion about this subject there is two sides of it you know people saying we should get our all our nutrients through food and of course we could imagine in the western world we have a lot of food uh, at our disposition so are there really nutritional deficiencies in the western world in the modern world um are those supplements just you know do they cause you expensive pee as they say <laughs> because yeah you actually of course the water soluble vitamins like b vitamins you pee them out uh, they do come out in your urine uh, which is a good thing a expected thing a normal thing which doesn't mean that a big part of it also is of course absorbed and being used by your body um, but yeah, this is one argument on one side or that, of course, the original nutrients in our daily food um, are more effective or yeah, somehow working better for us, which is also, of course, on, on, on some level true that the best thing would be we get all those nutrients in our food. So just to answer this question, a real nutrient deficiency, you know, we have certain terms here defined, like maybe you remember there is a disease called scurvy, which is the severe lack of vitamin C or almost kind of complete lack of vitamin C. Um, this is something, yeah, if you have access to fresh, fresh uh, fruits and vegetables is very rare today in the modern world so we're not talking about treating extreme deficiencies that yeah that have a definition like scurvy the lack of vitamin c or you know there was rickets the extreme lack of vitamin d which can lead to malformation of the bones in children or yeah in, in people in general so we have pellagra which is a disease caused by the lack of b3 which is niacin or beriberi which is the extreme lack of b1 or thiamine so i we're not talking today about these diseases um, there might, yeah, there are maybe still relevant in the developing world or where the, wherever there is a real lack of food or the quality of food. Um, so in the developing world also, yeah, it's very common to have a deficiency of vitamin A or iron and a general lack of calories, nutrients, proteins, fat and so on. But in the modern world, we see very often that modern people have a lack in magnesium or they have very low vitamin D levels. They have very low omega-3 levels or let's say the ratio between the omega-3 and the omega-6 is not in the balance that is probably more natural and optimal and beneficial to humans. Uh, we can see a lack 
general in, in B vitamins. But those are not, you know, I don't even know if we can call them real nutritional deficiencies. So I use often the term or the term that is often used is kind of subclinical nu nutritional deficiencies. So they don't show up maybe in your blood result. You know, if you would test for a vitamin D deficiency, um, you know, you get the test back and your levels are 22 nanograms per deciliter. Your doctor says, oh, that's just fine. You know, you're not deficient. You're in the normal range. But, uh, you know, if you would have scored a 19, then it would be deficient. So you are pretty close to being deficient and you are definitely not in the optimal range. Yeah, there is a difference between um, being in the range in general, but you want to be in the optimal range of certain nutrients and not just on the lower end, kind of just barely within the normal um, range. So the normal range anyway uh, is different from laboratory laboratory to, to, to laboratory. So depending where you get your blood results, the range might be slightly different. And it's also just an average calculated of all the blood tests they have taken from other people. So yeah, if we're all deficient in in certain things like magnesium, you know, those those reference uh, ranges are yeah, not really pointing us to what is good for our health, but just pointing us to where we're at in a in a in a certain part of uh, the population. So yeah, I think those values they can give us benefits, you know, if we get them in the optimal range, you know, having vitamin D levels of 60, for example, and not of 22 is a big difference for your hormonal health, for your immune system. I mean, we now know vitamin D just plays a part in so many processes in the body and it is a factor, yeah, if you don't live uh, in a warm, sunny climate where you have year-round sun then probably your levels are low or are at least low in the winter. And also many people avoid the sun in summer also, or we put sunscreen on or uh, we go out in the sun dressed or in with a hat and everything. So then also, you, of course, you absorb less of the sun. So vitamin D is a big thing for the modern world and people who live in certain uh, climate zones that don't get too much sun. And magnesium is a big factor. We know just from our farming practices and the depletion of the soil that our vegetables today contain around 25 to, to 30 something percent less magnesium than before. So we have a depletion of magnesium in the soil and in our food. And on top of that, also, we eat less vegetables than 100 years ago. So this is also an additional factor. So magnesium is definitely a big deficiency and you can see that in all kinds of symptoms that people have like um, uh, cramps or uh, cramps in the legs at night in bed or something. This is an obvious thing for magnesium deficiency or yeah, being not optimal with, you, with your levels and that can easily be remedied by taking some magnesium before going to bed. Um, or even all kinds of hormonal or inflammatory diseases. It's good for the heart, for the thyroid, for, for practically also every organ. And it has so many functions in the body. So most people benefit from supplementing magnesium. And I was also, you know, I mean, I had a phase definitely also in my life uh, when I was working as a midwife, you know, to prevent women from having to take too much or unnecessary supplements, you know. Uh, it's I'm, I'm against, you know, giving iron to all pregnant women because it might not be necessary you can also have too much iron so with some of those nutrients you have to know are you too high or too low I mean definitely the iron levels or the hemoglobin levels in pregnancy are uh, going down naturally because of the dilution of the blood which, which is, has also a, a physiological function you know and could be intended uh, by the body to prevent blood loss after birth and other factors so it is good to look at those things critically but you know I have also seen many women in this oh I don't want to take anything or especially in pregnancy being too hesitant about taking something but the iron would actually have benefited them very much and prevented the fatigue in pregnancy and yeah it, it would have had benefits also for the baby for the birth and um, to prevent hemorrhaging after birth or things like that so in some cases yeah I see people are sometimes and including myself I was maybe at certain points, definitely with my own health, you know, also like thinking, oh, I don't need a multivitamin or um, I don't need to take anything extra. So I know this perspective. Of course, it sounds great, you know, to say, hey, we should just eat great food and get everything from our food. But is this really a reality that we manage to do that? 
or not, you know. I mean, how much fish would you have to eat during the week to really get your omega-3 levels up to, to great levels? It's almost impossible. And, um, you know, maybe then you would yeah get too much mercury from the fish or whatever so um yeah it can be it's tricky it's tricky so i think that definitely i see the effect of nutritional supplements like omega-3 or magnesium vitamin d and b vitamins um, in my own health and also for all my clients who are taking them and i combine them if people are open to taking them i always combine them with a herbal protocol uh, you know if somebody comes to me obviously their health is Yeah, has some flaws, they have some health problems and this could be digestive issues that they don't even realize, you know, people think it's normal to have bloating after eating or yeah, gas or um, burping or things like that. They they come almost with an attitude like, yeah, but doesn't everybody has have that? No? And I think those are real issues. Those are not only first signs of something, but yeah obvious signs that something's going wrong with the digestion and further down the road you know this can lead to autoimmune diseases and you know to yeah to other other issues if you have yeah absorption issues in the gut or bloating and things like that so people come to me with those kind of symptoms or hormonal issues or yeah outright diagnosed problems like thyroid problems or th or something so definitely there is a subclinical nutrient deficiency in those cases you can also search for them and find them in blood tests it's sometimes a bit tricky you know for example if you want to really test for a magnesium deficiency or see if your levels are in the optimal range let's phrase it like that you get the normal serum magnesium level test and it's normal you know because the levels in our blood in the blood serum our magnesium levels are actually always the same the body maintains this homeostasis at all costs you know even if it has to draw magnesium from the deposits in our body like the bones or other places the the levels in the blood will be stable our body needs the homeostasis needs a certain ph and a certain temperature and all those factors in this constant homeostasis and does everything to maintain it because this is the way the human body can function it cannot function with uh, lower or higher levels or with a lower or, or higher temperature for a long time so you will find oh my magnesium levels are just fine i just checked them with my doctor but actually the test that really tells you if your magnesium levels are in optimal range or not is the red blood cell magnesium test so this is not the red blood cell and the magnesium test it is the magnesium that is bound to the red blood cells yeah so it is one one test one specific uh, blood marker that tells you exactly that how much magnesium is bound to the red blood cells so this is a more um Uh, yeah, uh, a value that can differ between people and you can see are you pretty low or pretty good or um, yeah and there you can see that modern western people are often more on the lower end or even out of the optimal range and yeah really deficient in magnesium. So you might ask at this point why do we have in the modern world those subclinical nutrient deficiencies do we not have like an excess of food available and yes actually we are Uh, the society of of the overfed but undernourished yeah we have lots of calories uh, in form of carbohydrates and fat and protein available but often we have a lack of actual nutrients like minerals vitamins or even amino acids essential fatty acids like the omega-3 or the omega-6 so Yeah, the, we eat less vegetables. It's just a fact. Our soils are more depleted. We might live in a place where we don't get enough sun. So there are many, many factors, of course, especially diet, that can lead to those suboptimal levels uh, of nutrients in our blood. And yeah, we most of us benefit highly by supplementing them. And we have, of course, uh, an increasing body of studies, of scientific studies that show Uh, the benefits and uh, we have a big discussion about okay what is the actual amount of for example let's say vitamin c or vitamin d that i should take daily so and there's also a lot of confusion around this because there is something called the recommended dietary allowance or the rda which you will find on a on a supplement bottle and you will find for example that 
Um, I think the recommended amount of vitamin C per day is something like 80 milligrams or something. It's different for men and women and pregnant uh, women, but it's roughly kind of, it's not even a hundred milligram. Yeah, let's say it's 80 milligrams, something like that, something around that. But this is also just the bare minimum, usually, that keeps you, that prevents you from uh, having scurvy, the outright, you know, really... Uh, nutritional deficiency of vitamin C. So this prevents you from getting scurvy, but you will not get many benefits for your immune system or, you know, if you have a cold and a flu, you want to avoid that, do something for your immune system, which is one of the benefits of vitamin C. There are many others. It's an antioxidant, you know, it's, yeah, it has also so many functions in the body. So with 80 milligrams a day, yeah, hmm, it's kind of a start, but it won't do that much for you. Yeah, honestly, most people maybe take a pill of maybe 500 milligrams per day. It already sounds like, wow, that's more than five times higher. So maybe that's a great dose. Um, yeah, mm, it depends. It's maybe maybe a good daily maintenance dose, even though I would also uh, like to see more like a dose of 1,000 milligram, 2,000, 3,000 as kind of a daily maintenance dose. And if you actually want to up your immunity because, let's say, you have been exposed to COVID or um, you, you feel a flu or a cold coming on or any other immune issues, a herpes infection or, or anything you would need higher doses. This is also, yeah, many studies have shown this, even doses like of 6,000 milligram per day or even 12,000 milligram per day are safe doses to take as long as they're being absorbed well in the gut. So vitamin C can be a bit stool loosening. So there are certain forms of vitamin C that are more or less suitable. For example, the ascorbic acid causes uh, kind of di diarrhea and loose stools earlier on. It's a bit tricky to get those higher doses that are more effective for those specific situations into people without causing them diarrhea but there's also the ascorbates which is usually something like calcium ascorbate so the vitamin c is bound to calcium you get both the calcium and vitamin c in a in a capsule and uh, yeah those do cause less loose bowels so usually i would recommend the calcium ascorbate or something and this is a safe form of vitamin d where you practically just get up to the maximum you can take you know i mean they have experimented a lot with vitamin c on also in injections or infusions uh and in way 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 higher doses than those that i was just uh um, describing because, of course, in an infusion, when you get it directly into the blood, you bypass the whole digestive tract. It doesn't have to go through your stomach, so it does not cause the loose bowels and the diarrhea and any issues like that. If you take them orally, which is what we're talking about here, just normal preventive measures that you can take at home, that, you, that are safe, you know, you don't need a doctor, you don't need an infusion or any other infrastructure. So you take those pills, of course, normally orally or in powder, in powder form, stirred into water or as a capsule. And yeah, in this case, you have this limiting issue of the loose stool. So you basically just start with a thousand milligram and go up 2,000, 3,000. If you already know where your bowel limit is, your bowel tolerance limit, then, then it's great. Then you can take maybe right away the dose of the 12,000 milligrams or whatever it is that is kind of your limit. It could easily be higher if you are in a situation of an acute uh, flu or you want to ward something off that you feel coming on, your lymph nodes are swollen or you have a little cough or something. So in those situations, it could be beneficial or some people use it in that way, let's say. And it's also wise, of course, to spread the dose a bit out over the day. So maybe you take like um, three times 4,000 milligrams. That's what I took in my COVID protocol. You can go back here in the episodes, like two episodes ago, I explained which herbs I took and in which quantities preventively and uh, during my COVID infection. So this would be a yeah, a good way to take it, like three times 4,000 or however it is so that you come to your maximum. And yeah, maybe you get a bit of loose stools the next day. It's also not a drama, but you can then just reduce the dose and take a bit less the next day. So, of course, we are not 
working based on this recommended dietary allowance of 80 milligrams. Remember, we were just talking about 12,000 milligrams. Uh, so we have to kind of forget a bit the, the RDA, which is the bare minimum for survival, let's say, for like, yeah, really the bare minimum to prevent those diseases like beriberi, pellagra, scurvy, rickets or things like that. With vitamin D, it's the same thing. You know, I, I don't even know what is the recommended dietary allowance, but I, it's even under a thousand um, international units. I think it's something like maybe even as low as 300, 400 um, international units of vitamin D, which also it just probably barely brings you into the zone of 20 nanograms per deciliter um, and keeps you there. You won't get much higher with a dose like that. Um, and we know from research that levels of 60 nanograms per deciliter, so this is three times higher, yeah, this is a big difference. And this is in the middle of the optimal range. So you are also, you know, you, you could go even higher for certain conditions, yeah, and this is what we come to next, the what we can call something like nutrient pharmacology, that we use even higher doses intentionally for certain conditions that benefit from those even higher blood levels than 60 nanograms per deciliter. But 60 nanograms per deciliter is kind of the average optimal level that most doctors would agree on is beneficial or that research has so shown are normal human vitamin D levels. And to get to those, you most of the time, you know, most people have to take 5,000 international units of vitamin D per day. So before we were talking, you know, the recommended daily allowance is not even a thousand. So this is also multiples of the official recommendations. So, um, yeah, there are vitamin D calculators online. You know, you can even plug in your the result of your blood, blood test and then put a certain time frame like you want to get your levels up to what to like, say, let's say 60, 65 nanograms per deciliter so you put those levels in you want to reach that in let's say three to six months or something and then it would calculate you the average dose that you would need to take per day and you will see yeah this is maybe 5,000 maybe 10,000 uh, international units or even 20,000 for a while yeah so you would not take 20,000 units ongoingly but maybe for a month or for two months to get your levels up more quickly and then you would have to find out the dose that maintains those levels for you yeah, which could be the 5,000 or 4,000 or something uh, like that. Of course, with vitamin D, it's good to retest. Yeah, you can just test it after six months again and see where you actually landed in your levels. And um, yeah, so after a while, you know what is your daily dose that keeps you at those optimal levels. This is usually what I do with my clients that I see their test, make kind of a, yeah, just a average guess about what they might need every day to get them up and then we confirm with the next blood test if our strategy actually worked or if we have to give a bit more or give a bit less or usually you know about less I'm not worried so much you know even if you have levels of 70 or 75 um, yeah my teacher KP Kalsa he actually says he wants people to have levels of 75 and not 60 but he's not gonna argue you know because okay the difference also not that much but also, um, yeah, my teacher KB, he taught me about nutrient pharmacology and um, yeah, it's a big thing. It's actually also nothing new. There are books about, sometimes it's called orthomolecular medicine, which uses those nutrients and this could be minerals, vitamins, flavonoids, amino acids, essential fatty acids, uh, all things like that, uh, to use them in a bit more intentional way. Let's say we are not just getting your vitamin D levels back to optimal levels like 60 or 75, but we actually push them a bit, maybe to 100, 95, 100, and we get certain benefits for certain circumstances like, um, you know, extreme chronic disease like uh, autism or even cancer or um, things like that, conditions like that. And we know also from research, of course, that those higher levels can have a beneficial effect in these situations. So here we're, we're, our goal is not to treat a deficiency uh, like rickets. Our goal is also not even anymore to just bring you back to optimal levels. 
but our goal is here to use it actually in an almost pharmacological way um, but we're not using just any pharmaceutical we are using a vitamin or a mineral that is very well known to your body is has very low or non, no toxicity at all so vitamin d because it is fat soluble actually has a potential toxicity because your body cannot excrete it that easily as let's say vitamin c or b vitamins which are vo water soluble so with those fat soluble vitamins like vitamin a or vitamin d there is actually a, a threshold there is a limit to it so you could overdo it so that's why i said it is important to to retest it but I'm also, you know, there it's it's no reason to to think, oh my gosh, my levels ended up at 120 or or something like a bit higher for a while, because of course the body also regulates that down. After a while, the vitamin D gets absorbed from the blood into the body into different places. So your body is handling that and dealing with it. And yeah, honestly, there is not many cases, or I don't even know if there are any cases of actual vitamin D toxicity reported. It's a very rare thing. Yeah. So this is just a little warning that you shouldn't overdo it that there is a limit to it you're probably not gonna intoxicate yourself with vitamin c or other water soluble vitamins but the fat soluble vitamins we have to be a bit careful yeah so but we are using those high doses let's say um they those nutrients are very familiar to your body i mean you eat those things with your food daily the vitamin C uh, or the omega-3, all those are very familiar things to your body. The body knows what to do with them. It's very different to other pharmaceuticals, which the body has never seen and which usually force the body into a, yeah, into a, yeah, a specific uh, reaction or um, a thing that happens in the body after taking it. But those vitamins, minerals, we know, they have a general beneficial effect on the body, They work as antioxidants and are yeah, practically involved in so many processes of our hormonal and immunological and general functioning. So this is what the term nutrient pharmacology means or should mean in this sense. Uh, yeah, sometimes described as orthomolecular medicine. So another example of that is, of course, what I said, the vitamin C taking at higher doses. Of course, you don't need to take 12,000 milligrams every day for prevention or prevention of scurvy. You know, way lower doses would be sufficient for that. But if you have the cold or flu coming on, you can take a bit more. Yeah, Or the same with uh, zinc. I also I can't tell you what is the, the recommended dietary allowance, but uh, the usual supplement size is often 25 milligrams. But in the case of cold or flu, you could take four times that dose, as I also described in my COVID protocol. So you can boost your immunity with a bit higher doses of certain minerals. Yeah, And also in the case of magnesium, it's honestly a bit like the vitamin C. The limiting factor is not that there is a too high dose of magnesium. I mean, magnesium is really like the abundance mineral like also calcium you know we need it in quantities no? it is in all green vegetables and everything that's green on your plate in terms of vegetables and fruits um, there is magnesium uh, the plants actually i think i said this in another episode but it's just so fascinating to me if you compare the hemoglobin molecule of the human blood to the chlorophyll molecule of plants of practically the the life blood of the plants um The only difference between them is that, is that in the middle of the hemoglobin molecule in our human blood, there is an iron molecule. And in the middle of the chlorophyll molecule of plants, which looks exactly the same, except that in the middle of it, there is a magnesium molecule. So, yeah, this is just so fascinating, fascinating to me uh, that we are so similar in our, yeah, in our genetic makeup kind of in our physical makeup so and it also shows you know how we have co-evolved and of course humans have always eaten plants and big amounts of it every day probably in form of roots and leaves and fruits and vegetables so yeah our diet has greatly reduced is, is normally greatly reduced in vegetables in modern times now and this is exactly the problem why we do not get enough magnesium if we take magnesium in a supplement form it is usually bound to something like an amino acid like glycinate like i like the form magnesium glycinate it's good absorbable it doesn't cause the loose bowels too quickly 
there's also magnesium citrate and oxide and those are forms that are a bit more stool loosening so the limit is practically also bowel tolerance as we say so you would start with 100 milligram of magnesium the next day you take two the next day you take 300 and so on and observe what happens if you get two loose bowels that are kind of uncomfortably loose. I mean, many people are a bit constipated anyway, so this can be a beneficial side effect also. But of course, we don't want you to have to run to the bathroom all day. So in that case, you just um, reduce the dose and back off by one capsule, and that's your dose. This might be 800 milligrams or 1,000. You also probably you think, oh yeah, I'm only taking like 200 milligrams or 100 or maybe 300. This is a pretty conservative dose, a pretty low dose. So I think magnesium also, yeah, it has shown that it's very um, beneficial if you really soak your body with it. It is important for so many processes in the body that is usually a great health benefit if you take a bit more. And you can take it before bedtime. It can help you relax a bit. It doesn't make you sleepy. You can also easily take it during the day, but it can yeah, just calm you down a bit, calm down the muscles and help you relax a bit if you take it before bedtime. So that's usually what I recommend. Yeah, one more example would be let's take an amino acid, for example, tyrosine is an amino acid it's something you daily consume in your food but in a specific situation you so you know normally you wouldn't have to supplement with tyrosine it's very abundantly in our food so there is i don't know, even know you know is is there actual lack or deficiency of tyrosine no it's it's practically not an issue but you can still use it in this pharmacological way um, because of course it's also very safe your body knows it and you eat it every day but if you take it in the supplement form you can get the doses way higher than you ever could with your normal food intake and this could be beneficial for example it is a very um, kind of mild energizer so if you suffer from fatigue and um, yeah you could take this instead of you know it doesn't make you jittery like coffee or something it is not a stimulant like super energizing or something but it is yeah it gives you a bit of more energy and it can help with fatigue for example and this is probably because tyrosine is something that's needed in the body to produce our thyroid hormones and of course our thyroid hormones they regulate a lot of our energy and body temperature and many processes so especially let's take the case of somebody who is hypothyroid and has an actual diagnosed disease of being too low in those thyroid hormones in the t3 t4 so in this case you would say, of course, there is a reason for that and you should work on the underlying issues. It's also often related to stress and depletion in general, to other action, actual uh, subclinical nutrient deficiencies. Probably you have to work on the gut or on the inflammation. In, in the case of an autoimmune condition of the thyroid, you have to see what's going on. I'm not saying this is the solution to hypothyroid, but it can be part of a well thought out protocol to address this issue and to treat hypothyroid of course even uh, the pharmaceutical uh, kind of yeah solution which would be taking thyroid hormones in a pill can be part of the protocol but still you are not addressing the underlying issues if you just replace the hormones in a pharmaceutical way but what you can do in this case for example with the tyrosine you can just give it, I, I usually recommend buying it in a powder form because also if you buy capsules, there's just 500 milligrams in each capsule. This is a pretty low dose. Uh, maybe we'd need like more like 6,000 milligrams or something. And the powder tastes very neutral. It's a white powder. It's You stir it into water. You almost don't feel any taste. So all those amino acids I usually recommend taking in this powder form. Most of them, the ones that have not like a nasty taste or something. So in this case, we could give the tyrosine and we are offering the thyroid more of the substance substance that it needs to produce thyroid hormones. I mean, of course, the thyroid or your body in general has other factors that cause that you don't produce enough thyroid hormones and those factors are not going to go away because of the tyrosine so you still have to address the underlying issue as I said but if you just soak the thyroid and you give it an abundance of tyrosine then probably yeah it grabs some of it and makes an effort and produces a bit more of the T3 and T4 and I've seen this over and over again also in when we retested uh, the, the blood and we tested the thyroid levels and yeah there was actually a beneficial effect i mean as i said i've never used only the tyrosine this would be not a solution to this problem but it can be a part of a, of a protocol that would address the fatigue which is also of course very common if people have a hypothyroid condition 
and it can also, yeah, uh, I mean, it addresses the fatigue in the way that it produces more of the thyroid hormones, that it makes it easier for the thyroid to produce more of those hormones in the correct levels. So this is a way, uh, yeah, a typical example. And I mean, isn't it great, honestly? I mean, it's an amino acid. Our body knows it. It's completely non-toxic. It's, yeah, a completely normal thing for the body to take and to absorb and everything. It has no side effects that I know of. Um, and it has those amazing effects that you can feel. I mean, you feel it half an hour after taking, after drinking it, and you feel more energized and your fatigue is, is less and you can think more clearly and all that. So, yeah, it's wonderful. I often combine this. For example, you know, the herbs, I think, are a very important part of any hypothyroid protocol, which I deal a lot with, with my clients. And... Um, If we need always a combination of supplements and herbs. I see from the more like func functional medicine perspective, if my clients have seen another practitioner before, like a naturopath or yeah, functional doctor or something, they sometimes are already on the omega-3 or the vitamin D and the selenium and the zinc and, and other um, nutrients that are very important with this condition but there's always still this missing thing which is the herbs and we have this class of herbs called adaptogens i've made a podcast episode about this you can check out this other episodes so adaptogens are a critical part of a thyroid protocol or actually any hormonal condition so this includes also adrenal fatigue or of course any imbalance of the sexual hormones like pms or menopause issues or any of those hormonal imbalances and immune imbalances and other factors so adaptogens are pretty much um, yeah very beneficial for all, also kind of everybody to take them or preventively or to treat a certain condition if necessary so this is a big part of a protocol but with adding in the tyrosine for example or all those other nutrients you get a bigger quicker effect yeah sometimes the herbs are a bit slow acting especially the adaptogens it's not that you take the first dose of ashwagandha or something and you feel an increase in energy no the ashwagandha takes about two weeks to kick in and also only if you take a high enough dose honestly and this is not a gram or two this is also usually we need higher doses if we have those chronic conditions and um Yeah, so we are glad we have the nutrients and the tyrosine or, yeah, just as, of course, the tyrosine is in this case a symptomatic treatment. You know, this is not going to cure anything, but it helps the thyroid to produce more hormones. So it's actually almost, yeah, it's definitely a very safe and beneficial overall strategy in combination with other nutrients and other herbs. And just to pick another example, now maybe from the group of flavonoids, for example, the quercetin. So quercetin uh, is a substance, it occurs also naturally in our food and we probably eat it every day. It is uh, very, onions are very rich in quercetin, also nettle, nettle tea and many other herbs and fruits and vegetables actually have quercetin. So um, yeah, let's say you want to treat your hay fever with quercetin which it responds very well. It's very like anti-inflammatory. It's an antioxidant. So it can treat hay fever symptoms. So really stop the itchy nose and the dripping nose and everything. So it's very effective. If you want to have the quercetin from natural foods to treat your allergies, you would have to eat lots of onions and uh, or drink lots of nettle tea. And also the nettle tea, there is often the problem if the nettle has not been dried very carefully, uh, like with not too much exposure to sun or heat or um, rough handling kind of you know, being too manipulated, the quercetin degrades very easily with heat and things like that. So uh, also if you brew the, the tea with hot water, this is an extra factor. So it would yeah destroy the quercetin if you brew the tea with boiling water so maybe you could make a cold infusion of the tea even better would be to just encapsulate the nettle uh, grind it to a powder and encapsulate it and take it whole or just eat the whole nettles but you can't really eat them raw so this is another problem so you see you run into problems if you want to use the natural form Now, some of you now might ask, oh, I could just take a nettle tincture. But in a tincture, you also get very little, uh, you know, I mean, I'm talking about doses like 30 grams of nettle per day. Yeah. So if you would make a tea or if you would take the powder and capsule, 
this would be 30 grams of nettles. Yeah, in a tincture, maybe the whole bottle of 100 milliliters contains only 30 grams of nettle. So I don't. There is enough quercetin in your whole tincture bottle maybe to treat uh, a day of allergies but not more than that and of course you wouldn't want to drink a whole hundred milliliter of uh, the alcohol that those tinctures contain so i don't think you can get high enough doses in with tinctures in this case uh, not that nettle can't be tinctured or shouldn't be tinctured for a nettle has also many other uses it can treat lung conditions you can take it for the minerals you can take it as a diuretic you, there's lots of other uses and benefits for nettle and i'm not saying that in general you you shouldn't use it in tincture form but now we need higher doses we need a certain high dose of quercetin and sometimes yeah it is just more practical and actually doable for people to take this in a supplement form yeah, so the, the quercetin supplements, they are actually made out of the onion peels that are a kind of a byproduct of the fast food industry. So that's a good way to reuse those. And uh, you know how much quercetin is in the capsule. You can try out which dose works and yeah, just take a high enough dose. So this might also be around maybe 1,200 milligrams. This could be several times a day. So I made the experience that... Um, it lasts, the effect lasts for about four to five hours. So you take the quercetin capsules, 20 minutes later, your dripping nose and itching eyes and nose is completely gone and it really handles your allergy symptoms. But you have to take it again if the symptoms come back after a couple of hours. So it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't always work for a very long time. But yeah, you can try it out which, which dose you need. Uh, over the day to keep your symptoms at bay and of course it's the same thing with the tyrosine and what i said about the thyroid in this case we are not treating the underlying cause we would have to address the immune system we need probably an adaptogen and other herbs and supplements to really resolve the allergies but it is of course a solution that you don't suffer during spring with your dripping nose and all that until we have the whole digestive system uh, reformed and um, addressed all those underlying issues to really tackle the allergies. So yeah, this is an example of how this nutrient pharmacology can function and work with the quercetin, for example. So these were more examples where we use those nutrients as a bit of a quick fix or a symptomatic treatment. But of course, overall, we need certain levels of uh, certain nutrients, like in the case of the vitamin D, for example, or the omega-3. Uh, we use it actually to support uh, the body and it would also treat underlying issues you know you can influence a lot i mean omega-3 has so many studies vitamin d has so many scientific studies on it also the magnesium so this yeah we have a lot of actual knowledge from scientific research about those things and i mean i, ca I can't even list you the the whole list of benefits you know i mean vitamin d is important for heart health and for diabetes and for inflammatory diseases, dementia, Alzheimer, I mean, mental issues, anxiety, depression. It is shown in so many cases to be beneficial that it's absolutely amazing. Omega-3, the same. I mean, you can get any inflammatory condition under control because it's a very highly anti-inflammatory. So also anything from mental issues and brain health and heart health, uh, even, you know, everything basically no? you can treat acne with it no? which is inflammatory skin condition every er, anywhere where there is inflammation and this means like any redness or swelling or no? in the case of, of acne or other skin conditions for example you could see it sometimes you have internal inflammation if you have for example uh, Hashimoto's which is an inflammation of the thyroid gland which you don't see you don't see the inflammation but you might have inflammatory markers in the blood like the high sensitivity CRP being a tiny bit higher or, or things like that uh, heart conditions of course uh, you know the, the cholesterol is oxidizing in your arteries which is you know the first step of getting in trouble with heart problems later on so it can remove and influence all those factors in a very positive way uh, to get the right nutrients that are right for you. Of course, some of those you have to test. How are your levels, like especially the vitamin D. You should also not take iron if you don't 
need iron really yeah because iron is actually pro-oxidant so it's not something that is just beneficial uh, for your body it can also be harmful so that's why it's important to know but if you are low in iron you should definitely take it and it will be very beneficial to your body so some of those we have to test Uh, the water-soluble ones like the B12 or all the B vitamins, actually vitamin C, are not so much a problem. You don't have to all the time test and kind of uh, yeah, try to aim for the correct levels because your body just excretes the excess. And sometimes we have to literally, you know, soak our body a bit. Of course, you might think, oh, why should I take so much vitamin C if then it's excreted and causing the diarrhea? Or why should I take so many B vitamins? Because you get very yellow urine, you actually see them coming out in your urine. So you might think, oh, why should I take so much if it comes out anyway? But sometimes, you know, you have to soak the body in them and to really give your body plenty of them that something sticks you know <laughs> because also if you give less you absorb way less so you get a you get a benefit from actual doses and I always say that you know if you take a general multivitamin I have almost completely stopped using those in my practice with clients or also for me and my family because I never find a, a good one that has really significant doses of each of the things so i mean usually they contain a wide range of vitamins and even some minerals like magnesium but i mean if they contain like 20 milligrams of magnesium sorry you know i mean i just told you about doses like thousand two hundred milligrams or at least 800 or something but not like 20 milligrams and of course i mean in one capsule or one tablet you can fit only so much this is also a problem of space so if you want to fit 20 30 different vitamins and minerals into a multivitamin pill yeah it's difficult i mean There might be good ones, I don't know, hard to find, but usually it's better, you know, you take your B-complex, you take the nutrients that you really need, like you check if you need the selenium or the iron or whatever, depending on the health condition you have, you need a good dose of the omega-3, you cannot take an omega-3 in a normal multivitamin, it's not in there, you know, it's also... Um, Yeah, you are, you're being misled if you think, ah, the multivitamin con contains everything I need. No, it doesn't. It, sometimes it doesn't contain the vitamin D or also very little of it. It does not contain the omega-3. So, yeah, there are still things you have to kind of mix and match a little bit to get really the intended doses that bring you into the optimal range. But then you will see, yeah, the benefits on your health can be pretty amazing and pretty fast i mean it shouldn't be used you know then there's the concern especially also of colleagues and other practitioners who say yeah i don't want to give people the impression you know they're taking their omega and their multivitamin and now they can just you know have the bad diet that that they used to have you know and it's fine to have a bad diet no it's of course not fine you know i mean it's still just barely so yeah that we get enough of this stuff in with our supplements and of course you know you don't get the proteins you don't get the uh, everything else the calories and everything you still have to eat but please not only junk food those supplements work best if combined with the best diet you can imagine you know also the absorption for example of vitamin c in the form of the calcium ascorbate or the ascorbic acid which uh, yeah i prefer the calcium ascorbate as i said but if, if you take vitamin c it is not really well absorbed in the body on its own it needs a certain combination of bioflavonoids and those you can still get with your food and with your veggies and fruits so i recommend taking those supplements actually together with your food so you can just divide the dose over the day or spread out your capsules a bit take some in the morning some with your lunch especially the fat soluble vitamins like vitamin d and omega-3 and vitamin a you should take with your biggest meal of the day because this meal usually contains some fat and the it yeah it's better absorbed if it's being absorbed together with other fats so your fat metabolism kicks really in the fat digestion in your body really kicks in and digests and absorbs those nutrients we don't want to take them and you know waste them but create the best conditions for them to being well absorbed so the time of the day and together with a meal yeah it's usually it's a factor and it's usually better you know you can take them right in the middle of your meal because i also find many people who say oh i can't swallow so many capsules and i feel them kind of still kind of sticking in my throat or 
giving me strangely um, flavored burps or something like that uh, of the omega-3 uh, fish oil. This can sometimes happen. Though, I mean, yeah, they are really good brands who don't leave any fishy taste. And there's even a vegan version. You can even get the alga-based omega-3 oil, which is also very good. It doesn't have to be fish-based if you're a vegetarian. Yeah, so there are there are many many forms, and it's usually more comfortable if you take them in the middle of your meal. Even you know you put some food in the bottom, so they have a base. Take the supplements, wash them down with a bit of water or something, and then you keep eating, and you have some food on top also, so that you don't have the burps or any strange kind of feelings of the capsules uh, still kind of sticking in your throat. The capsules also they wash down easier with warm tea instead of cold water or also with a little bit of plant-based milk in the tea or something if you have a more yeah a liquid that contains a little bit of fat it just slides down more easily you can also you know if you have lots of capsules for example let's say you are taking the nettle ground up and i mentioned a dose of 30 grams you know this is easily like between 30 and 60 capsules for yeah to treat an acute allergy i mean if you take the quercetin it's less capsules this is also an advantage or let's say you are already intimidated by the kind of eight to twelve magnesium capsules that you have to take or whatever what eight capsules this is a lot i cannot take this you can swallow more than one capsule in one swallow yeah so by that way you don't need like two whole glasses of water to wash eight capsules down maybe you just need like two little swigs of water with four capsules each drink a sip of water before and after eat some food on top or just uh, you know i always grab a if, if i take my capsules at night i grab after that i grab a little cherry tomato or something and and eat it after swallowing my capsules so everything gets gets really down and it doesn't kind of stick in your throat but yeah those are all tips and tricks to get used to and make this more more easier for you the the swallowing of the capsules so yeah as i said i use them a lot in my work in a combination with herbs and of course depending on the health condition and on the person and some of those it's better to get a blood test and see where you actually are but i hope the point came across the difference between being just barely in the normal range or being in the optimal range and then also the third option which is using vitamins minerals amino acids or essential fatty acids in a intentionally higher dose than a physiological dose to treat certain conditions like treating the allergies with the quercetin or the thyroid with the tyrosine or the cold and flu with the vitamin c or zinc so those are all examples this is the whole range how we can make the best use of those nutritional supplements and yeah as i said i've changed my opinion also a lot over my life and i think they just make it easier to get back to health quicker or to maintain our health and to prevent certain conditions of aging and um, diseases that creep in in our life so yeah there's a lot of prevention and healing we can do with uh, supplements especially if we combine combine them with the right herbs so i hope you liked this episode um write me an email my email address is tamara at herbalhelp.net tamara at herbalhelp help is h-e-l-p dot net you can write me an email, have a look at my website, which is herbalhelp.net. I have a little YouTube channel also, Herbal Help by Tamara on YouTube. You can find me, subscribe to the podcast and recommend it to a friend. That would be totally amazing. If you know anybody who would benefit from this information, yeah, I would be really glad if you sent this link to a friend. Okay, see you next time. Have a good day and take your supplements. Ciao.